To give a statistical analysis of a genre which is, for the most part, based in big emotional moments, seems kind of like doing the dictionary definition of love introduction that begins so many bad wedding speeches. But hear us out. In 1999, the percentage of box office ticket totals made up by the romantic comedy genre was standing at a respectable 9.8%, which, when you think of all the genres out there, is pretty good. Over the next decade, there was a slow decline, and by 2009, the genre made up only 6.4%, which is not bad, but... Eh. Things took a sharp dive when Marvel began ramping up, and by 2017, the year in which the movie we're reviewing this week was released, that number was down to 0.78%. This means, uh, if I did my math correctly, that in about 20 years, the number of tickets sold per year for romantic comedies dropped from 141 million to 9.5 million. This is a huge difference. So when the executives, studio heads, and filmmakers over at Amazon took a chance on putting $5 million into a small romance plot where one of the romantic leads is asleep most of the movie, and neither is a Hollywood movie star, believe me when I say it probably took some guts. This week's film is based on the true story of the beginning of Camille Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon's relationship. A couple weeks ago, we reviewed While You Were Sleeping which has a strikingly similar plot. It's another movie about someone falling in love with someone else's family, while that person is in a coma in Chicago. But The Big Sick is actually vastly different in both tone and approach. It has a degree of honesty that has nothing to do with the fact that it's based on real-life events. It's, it's one of those rare movies that feels like it belongs in the real world, but entertains us like a true Hollywood romance. I don't know if I've seen a movie that has made me smile this much in a while without at least rolling my eyes at some point in time. Now, I like doing those things at the same time, otherwise I wouldn't be attracted to this genre as much as I am, but it was like drinking a really refreshing smoothie after eating a bunch of decadent fatty foods. It not only satisfied me, but made me feel good and believe in love, which of course the best smoothies obviously do. I don't know how I didn't see it before, but I now realize how great honesty is. Listen as we review this week's 2017 Michael Showalter-directed, Camille Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon-written romantic comedy, The Big Sick. This cookie is really good. The biscuits, listen to yourself, you hardly sound Pakistani. Okay. Sound like Judy Louis-Dreyfus. Such a burger. I'm not a burger. I'm not a burger. I'm not a burger. And biscuit is actually a British Oh, dog. thank you for all the information I don't give a shit about. And you should listen to mom and grow a beard. It gets really itchy I've tried. It's all patchy. I know it's like being a, baby. a man and conditioning like I do. What's the whole thing with Muslims growing beards anywhere? It's such an arbitrary thing, right? Like, who oh. decided that? Oh, you yeah, have to have beards. So there's a billion of us, and you're the only one with the truth. Is that right? So the sun is just shining down on you right now. It's just a party. Uh, you know, I have to tell you something, babe. Here we go. Yeah. I've been dating this girl. Michelle. She's white. Oh, 
I thought you were gonna say you were involved in a hit and run or you got caught forging some checks. But a white girl! I bet you that's such a cliche. It's okay, we hate terrorists. This is the Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. <laughs> With who? With Ryan Graves. And Kelly McCrillis. Hey. hey! It's good to be back in Chicago, huh? Yeah, we're here in the Windy City. Uh, have you ever been to Chicago? We went to Chicago together. No, we didn't. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah, we did for your brother's wedding. <laughs> yeah, we we zoomed through Chicago. We got one slice of pizza, and we got some intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Chicago. Hey, you're great. Were you a little disappointed that in this movie you didn't see any um, like good hot dog stands or pizza? While you were sleeping with Chicago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is so much more a Chicago movie than The Big Sick. Yeah, The Big Sick feels like it could be set in any big city. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, showed, think, if you showed me the whole thing, I would have said Cincinnati, maybe? Yeah, and the only difference it makes is that they're not Los Angeles or New York in terms of, like, Chicago is third place for Comedy City, and Chicago's like, hey, we're first place. I don't know why I <laughs> gave them, like... That kind of accent. But I think that's the only difference it makes is that um, he needs to go to a more competitive market for comedy to show us that he's he wants to be really serious in the end um, about his comedy we, career. And he's going to take a chance and go to the, New York. The big, big, the big Windy City, the, as they call it. The big. They don't call it that. <laughs> they should. <laughs> uh but yeah, you're right. It's it doesn't feel culturally like a Chicago. Although the the nice thing about this movie is it's like, well, let's change what the cultural makeup of Chicago is cuz like Kamal is this Pakistani Hugh Grant, right? Or like a Pakistani American Hugh Grant. Yes. Um he uh i was looking up a little bit about like the backstory just to see what the difference was between this uh true story and the one that we get in the movie and i mean it's pretty close uh but he moved here in 1997 i want to say from pakistan Mm -hmm. and then his parents moved here about four years later and i yeah we we kind of get that like great we get a look inside of a um american immigrant family that is in a place like I would have honestly I would have liked it a little bit if we had like a little bit of a little bit more Chicago that way we could see like the distinct um difference and how um you wanted to see Ferris Bueller's Chicago I mean kind of uh (laughs) it doesn't really matter to this movie because I actually like being steeped in his family and then in the hospital and right the, the most uh, South Carolina we get is with uh, Holly Hunter's <laughs> character. Romano. Yeah. Because well, yeah. Ray, Ray Romano's from Brooklyn in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't I didn't catch that. Yeah. Uh, the mom is like, uh, when, when she's describing him to Camille, she's like, oh, yeah, he didn't get along with any of my brothers because he was like this New York guy who uh, oh, right, didn't right. get all okay. rough and tumble. Yeah. Yeah. He was a teacher already, you know, thick New York accent, like, like nobody I'd ever met, you know, totally wrong for me. So naturally, we fell in love. Talk to me about what you loved. Did you like this um, movie? I liked this movie. Um, I think it's um, more similar to an experience of your Before Sunrises um, or your senses and your sensibilities that it's got so much more meat 
in the story and so much more seriousness to the film that it's a very good romantic story and it's very humorous, but it doesn't, it doesn't give me the fluffy pillow. Sometimes I go to it's, it's more like a, um, a wooden chair that I'm going to sit down, but I'm not going to be comfy. (laughs) I made my first chair when I was five but the quality of the wood was wanting, so when I turned nine, I used my factory wages to purchase some beautiful local walnut. It's just a harder watch for me. I don't know if if that's just me, but it's just it's it's the drama is good. The drama is real. Like the meat and potatoes, like you were saying, of this movie is in the like the drama more so than like the uh, falling in loveness of it. Yeah. Um, but it totally has my respect. You know, I want to start, I want to start a new discussion with you that I'd Mm -hmm. like to kind of carry through all of our episodes going forward. And I have a hypothesis that I'm going to prove and I'm going to prove it starting today. Big talk is, is the rom-com is actually not a genre. It's a style. Glass breaking. Careful. We're blowing the lid right off of it. Watch out, John McClane. Put some shoes on, because I'm going to blow your mind. <laughs> Why does he have to put gla- shoes on? Because there's glass on the floor, and he could step on it. And his mind is made of glass. Yes. They called me Mr. Glass. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, something that we've always struggled with, you and I, is even using the label rom-com. We've always kind of talked about the label of the chick flick, and everything in between and we're trying to figure out well what does that mean and what do we mean when we use that label Mm -hmm. and i think um with movies like father the bride it's it's kind of a rom-com but it's more of something else it's more of a comedy and this is the same problem where it's like yes there's a romance but that's yes that's kind of the point of the film but it's so much more and i think you you and i both will agree it's really about and it's an in-law romance movie where it's about a potential future in-laws understanding their future potential son-in-law why were these two genres so like why were they married to each other in this way like why was this used as a a descriptor even because like romantic comedies Um, I don't know when the term was first used, but it seems to have been something where a comedy was made and they're like, oh, we got slapstick. Like we got the um, maybe the Marx Brothers over here um, Mm -hmm. or like the Three Stooges. That's comedy. Uh, But this has a love story in it. So we have to call it not a comedy since it has romance and it has comedy. (laughs) We have to combine these things. Ladies Um, and gentlemen, please enjoy our not a comedy. (laughs) I mean, it. It's like um, when when we watch a superhero movie, we don't say it's an action superhero movie, you know, or when when we yeah. when we watch it's just like a superhero movie, like sometimes they combine sci fi and fantasy, I guess. But that's <sighs> well, I still haven't gotten to my theory. Let me okay, get my theory. My whole thing is you have a movie like While You Were Sleeping, um, but then you have a movie like Father the Bride and the plots don't have the same tropes. So genres usually are genres because of the tropes that are in them. So if you're an action movie, mm-hmm. in order to be an action movie, you have to have action. In order to have action, you have to have sequences where action takes place. So 
you can have something like a movie like Heat, where most of the time there's no action, but there's still some action set pieces, so you could qualify it as an action movie. But it's also qualified as a crime movie or kind of a drama. But then you have movies like Die Hard, where it's like, nope, that is an action movie through and through. There are action sequences throughout the whole thing. There's guns, there's shooting, there's fighting, there's hitting, there's all that. With the rom-com, it's a lot harder to do because you have... Because there's less hitting in it. (laughs) Yeah. You have traditional rom-coms where it's really easy to point out, like, When Harry Met Sally or Sleepless in Seattle or um, uh, Two Weeks Notice, where... You have two characters. Um, usually, they're very heteronormative, and it's like you got a man and a woman, and the whole, the whole convention of the movie is them getting together in one way or another. Right? Will they or won't they? And you have obstacles. You have romance, um, but it's going to be funny, um, and you know you're going to hit these certain tropes where they almost get together, or they do get together, and then there's a complication, or you have all these different um, um, plot obstacles that have to do with mm-hmm. their relationship and Notting Hill is probably the best use of all of those obstacles um, as the preeminent yeah and, and I, I think you you bringing up a movie that was made in the late 90s um, and then like all the movies that were probably made between 1993 and 2000 maybe 2013 or so like followed a very particular format that I think became the romantic comedy, but its origins and where it's going, I think are just maybe a little different or the romantic comedy doesn't exist like that. I I come to it as a style and the best, like um, best similar phenomenon is the film noir where the film noir is also not a genre, but it's a style. And so your film mm. noir can be about a crime or it can be about something else. It can be about an affair. It can be about, um, um, it can be a, a family drama. It can be a war drama. It can be all these different things. So there's no, there's no actual plot um, uh, conventions that are being used. But what ties film noir together are style conventions that you have mm. hard lighting, black and white most of the time, um, stylistic dialogue, um, voiceover, things that um, uh, are informing the look and the sound and the feel, but aren't informing the plot. Because Blade Runner is a neo-noir, but it's also a science fiction film, and it has very little to do with double indemnity, which is you know, an insurance crime uh, marriage sure. infidelity movie. Um, so um, with, with rom-coms... One second. I got a really bad drip going on in my kitchen sink. Go on. With romantic comedies, um, especially in the 90s, um, you have, I think the best example is Father the Bride versus um, a movie like Notting Hill, is that plot-wise, they share nothing in common other than there's romances involved. But there's a style to them that are extremely similar, that you have very um, very high-key, uplifted look to it. It's very bright. It's very beautiful. It looks gorgeous. It just looks like a home and garden magazine. It just, it just looks amazing. It's very pretty. Did your mom have home and garden? Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, mine did too. <laughs> um, it's it's very it's very easy on the eyes, very easy on the eyes. And I would say the music very similar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I I listened to a little bit of the soundtrack for The Big Sick, which was written by 
Michael Andrews, who I don't know from any other score. I think he did Donnie Darko. Did he? That would be cool. But this this uh, soundtrack is uh, very light and skipping. And he did. He did Donnie Darko. He did Donnie Darko. Okay. Um, but it's it's one of those those things that's very. I I hazard to call it easy listening, but I, I could listen to it while doing almost anything. Mm-hmm. And I think the the same thing about the quote unquote romantic comedy genre, because I'm still going to call it a genre, but its style is one of accessibility. Mm-hmm. So uh, this movie in watching it, it does get to some deeper places at times, but I still think the way it is shot and the style like you were talking about is of the romantic comedy style. Right. Would you agree? Yeah. But this um, appropriately is still harder edged than a Notting Hill or Father Bride. I feel like it's got a more realistic texture to it, which it should because it it's, it's hospitals, it's comedy clubs, it's, it's settings that are more true to life, um, which is why it's, it feels more true to life. So well done. Well done. Mm-hmm. They did it. They did it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was really wonderful. Um, watching Camille talk about his, uh, his love and affinity for Hugh Grant. Um, mm-hmm. especially cause I knew we were watching this for our podcast and our first movie that we did was, uh, Notting Hill. And, uh, I, I went and looked this up in an interview and he, he said, you know, two of his favorite movies are, Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral. And you see that picture of him in the movie uh, from high school, which is actually a picture of him in high school. <laughs> and he he does really rock the Hugh Grant haircut, which I think um, really speaks to how if you do want to be part of a romantic comedy in real life, you need some big bushy hair. <laughs> is, that is, that, the, is that good criticism? Well, is that our goal is to live our own real life rom-com? That's kind of what this couple did the actual emily v gordon and um, camille both did kind of act out i mean they they lived this event although a lot less dramatic as they said they like heightened a couple things like they didn't break up right before she went into a coma Um, but did he was he lying to his family he yeah he hadn't told them about it uh, but as soon as he did tell them that he was dating this girl who was in a coma. Uh, his mom was like, oh, okay. Uh, he inquired, she inquired after how she was doing. And it wasn't until she woke up from the, co- the coma that she got mad at him. Um, oh. But they got married uh, three months after the events took place, mm-hmm. ha- uh, got married at a courthouse. And then um, like two days later, they had a Pakistani wedding. Great. So it, it doesn't seem to be as dramatic of family tension in real life, which, you know, this movie is the perfect combination of a romantic comedy versus that heightened sense of reality that this movie gives us in writing Camille's family just a little bit more like hard lined and writing him off than yeah. what seems to have happened in real life and also having their relationship end because the more the more interesting version of this is I have to take care of and um, make friends with my ex's parents um, rather than this person I'm dating's parents. Yeah. Like there's just more conflict there, I guess. Yeah. It's a great premise of like, what would you do if you're suddenly confronted with 
her parents like that in that situation and that alone is such a good you know setup for the whole story who do you get along with better generally of the people you dated's parents did you get along with the moms or the dads have you met me i haven't dated anyone else so i only have one set of um uh, people to say so did you not meet any like other people's parents that you went on dates with you really are just making me sound so sad that there really <laughs> weren't that many dates I, okay that's fair um, <laughs> it's not fair it's mean <laughs> how sorry. about you let's talk about um, all the women you dated let's go let's go down the rolodex and figure out your uh, romantic past my friend I think I generally get along with the dads more. Not not necessarily that I don't get along with the moms at all, but in, in this movie, the Camille and Ray Romano relationship just it, it was very indicative <laughs> of certain ones that I've had with dads of um, of past, you know, relationships. You know that that uh, moment of clarity you get right after an orgasm. Yeah. And, and let's let's talk a little bit about the setup here, um, because Camille in this movie breaks up. Uh, he and Emily break up um, right before she goes into a coma. And then she's told her parents that they've broken up. And so when they show up at the hospital, Holly Hunter, her mom, just writes him right off. And she's like, thank you for being here. She tries to be polite, but she's like, you don't have to be here. You guys broke up. Like, thanks for taking care of this for us and putting my daughter in a medically induced coma. But she's like, you don't have to be here. I'm just going to wait anyway. You guys broke up. I'm, I'm not sure why you're here. And Ray mm-hmm. Romano is so much more like, uh, you know, if you want to hang out with us, that's like, oh, hold on. Oh, geez. If you want to hang out with us, that's totally cool. Um, no, no, that's stupid. Him more readily forgiving Camille for breaking their daughter's heart because he has also, like, he had an affair recently, and that's something we find out over the course of the movie. But like the fact that he is probably more apt to befriend Camille due to that is, I thought, really clever writing. I strategically for Sarah. Um, made friends first with her grandmother and just kind of had a top-down strategy. Oh, so once the matriarch approved, then Uh the other ones had no choice. Yeah. Oh, how Machiavellian of you. Totally. As if we don't know Logan's reputation, we do. But he is welcome in our home anytime, and you should extend the same courtesy to Rory. And I think all good good spouses feel figure out how to relate to your in-laws just kind of like figure out where the commonality is and fortunately for me me and sarah's parents get along mostly because we do have so much in common because sarah's mom is a writer and teaches writing and sarah's dad is a musician and is really into audio stuff and just like we have plenty to talk about so i feel bad for the people out there who have cultural divides or other kind of divides where it's like, geez, how do we, uh, how do we get along? How do we figure this out? And I think uh, one of the best scenes is when Ray Romano's like, so 9-11. It's just, oh, it's so painful, but it's so like, that's um, what I enjoy about this movie is that 
it's kind of like your comedy set pieces still get the story told and story moving forward Mm. yeah like the quips are also um like involved with character development yeah and And relationship development this is the first time that they're trying to talk to each other and Kamal has like an inappropriate but hilarious joke about 9-11 what's my stance on 9-11 oh um anti it was a tragedy I mean, we lost 19 of our best guys. Huh? That was a joke, obviously. <laughs> it shows what kind of a person Kamal is, which is he's an irreverent comedian, and it's just kind of like, well, that's who I am. Sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be a funny guy, and I'm going to make jokes. And, um, yeah, they are kind of forced to get used to that. But he's not annoying. But no, I like his brand of they, humor a lot. Yeah, they get introduced yeah. to that brand of humor immediately, and they—that's part of his identity. And I love, I love his brand of humor, kind of running up against Ray Romano's, which is so much more dead. Like they're both deadpan, but just different flavors of deadpan, kind of. Mm-hmm. Where Ray Romano's is more like the sincere deadpan, and Camille's is much more the sarcastic. Well, yeah, that's weird. Like um, movies about comedians. You have the comedian's in-universe humor, and then you have the movie's out-of-universe humor, where the movie's uh-huh. making jokes. And so, like, Ray Romano in the movie, his character is not funny. But for the movie... And it's pointed out that he's not right. funny. But yeah. for us watching the movie, they have a funny guy playing this character, and so it's funny. But it's not funny in the movie. But Kumal in the movie is funny. I felt like everybody in this movie, even even the... And this is more a testament to the writing and the acting, I guess. But everybody was kind of funny. Like Anupam Kier was... Uh, he's He plays the dad. Um, yeah. He, like when he starts singing in the living room when he's trying to entertain the yeah. like potential wife that has come over... <laughs> it's hilarious and he's he's more of a serious actor than a comedian but like this movie gives like almost every actor the chance to be funny yeah well then he has bo burnham and um Mm. what's her name from snl ad bryant yeah ad bryant and they are funny they are really funny they're really good ad bryant more Eddie Bryant way more. Uh, yeah, Maybe I thought that's just they personal were, preference. I, I I liked both of them. They, I I sometimes it's annoying to me when comedians get unleashed to the extent that they do, especially in a Judd Apatow produced movie. Yeah, like where it's just like, okay, you just riff for a while. We don't need the script right here. You just riff and be funny and continue being funny, and we'll fit it in somewhere. But having it all in context of a comedy club with a group of comedians who are constantly riffing on each other and like basically using each other for the sake of of their own comedy, it worked so well in this film. Yeah, I'd rather hear A.D. Bryant riff than Seth Rogen riff. (laughs) Because it's like, why are you talking? (laughs) Like, Why are you talking like this? No one talks like this in the real world. Well, yeah, but if Seth Rogen was playing a comedian in the realm of the movie, I think I would like it much more. Right. Right. So this felt the most naturalistic Judd Apatow movie. Yes, very much so. Um, I mean, since probably Freaks and Geeks, I would say, 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we need more. And of that. I was so surprised, and, and that was probably, you know, a little bit to do with the writing, the directing by um, Showalter. Um, mm. I feel like, so apparently it's Judd Apatow produced because he was on a podcast with um, Emily and Camille and they were like telling their story and he's like, oh, you should make this a movie. Mm. <laughs> and, and thus they did. Yeah. He, um, do you know how involved he was as a producer for the production? No, I couldn't actually find anything about that. It does feel though, in terms of like, it's filmmaking of of like okay you're, you're like you're right like these actors are just this isn't written this is improvised and this is just them exploring the space and seeing if they can get some more humor out of it mm-hmm. and i wouldn't be surprised if they gave that opportunity to ray romano too oh yeah like his his tuna joke how's your sandwich best fucking sandwich i ever had mine's good tuna's always a gamble but, you know, we're not by the water, but we are by the water. But it's a lake. There's no tuna in the lake. Whatever. I, I threw the dice. I got the sevens, I guess. If that was improv, it was delivered with such a plum. <laughs> yeah. Well, my other speculation, if I had to guess, you know, and maybe maybe we can confirm this at a later time, but... If I had to guess, Judd Apatow's biggest contribution may have been like script editor, um, because the films that he produces, I always like his produced films more than his directed films, because his produced films always feel so complete narratively. Because like, what, he, what are some of those? Like ones? Bridesmaids. Like, oh yeah, well yeah, it, it's such an accomplishment, especially because Kristen Wiig and her writing partner that was their first feature film, and it, it feels so thought through and same thing with this actually camille and uh, emily yeah. it's their first feature yeah and i think it got nominated for an oscar this this movie the it did it actually um besides being nominated for an oscar it also won the afi's top 10 list for the year of movies yeah. which is crazy and i would think the producer of freaks and geeks has an ear for like what is good human um interaction and what is compelling from a from a narrative standpoint and yeah, he's funny, but like when he gets um, these movies made with really brilliant scripts, that's what it all comes down to. And you and I, as screenwriters, like that's our goal is like rich narrative of really good narrative, and we we don't care so narrative much. narrative that makes us rich. You're right. Yes, filthy <laughs> <laughs> rich, um, but really compelling narrative. And at the end of the day, that's why the big six succeeds. Is that I don't think it's that funny of a movie, but I think it's a very valuable story. You're right. I never, I, I laughed out loud like maybe three or four times in this movie. I wasn't rolling on the floor, but it, like, I, I was, I was probably smiling through the entire thing. Right. Same, yeah. same experiences before sunrise of just like, I don't, it's not ha ha funny. It's more like, aha uh-huh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know just because we're in a, a present, like, this is the, I think this is the closest movie we've watched to the present so far. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's watch a trailer really quick and see how, see how that um, looked today compared to like the 1990s trailers we've been watching. Okay. Trailer time. Don't you know that it is trailer time? 
Which trailer are you watching? We're watching the one that we're both watching together. This was fun. Wait, we haven't even had sex again yet. I'm just not that kind of girl. I only have sex once on the first date. I'm just gonna <laughs> call an Uber. <laughs> Your driver will be ready as soon as he puts on his pants. I have to tell you something, babe. I've been dating this girl. She's white. I wonder who that could be. I'm guessing it's a young, single Pakistani woman. You know how we have arranged marriage in my culture? Stupid. Can you imagine a world in which we end up together? I don't know. I'm looking for Emily Gardner. She was checked in tonight. There's an infection. We put her in a medically induced coma. Coma. Thank you, Kamala. We're gonna handle things from here. I think I screwed up with your daughter. Yeah, you did. Let me give you some advice, Kamala. Love isn't easy. That's a well-made trailer. Yeah. Um, I forgot about like a couple of the really deep moments um, that feel like they're from a non-romantic comedy. Like when the doctor's like, you should tell us to put her into a coma. You are her husband, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's just like trying to get him to say that he's her husband. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. It's, it's um, rough. It's hard. It is, but... Like, I mean, this movie did have all of the spoonful of sugar moments I needed to continually be not not live in the world of, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm worried for Emily's safety this whole time, Mm -hmm. which I mean, I was during the appropriate moments. And then when it wanted me to be more concerned with something else, I was more concerned with something else. I don't know. It um, it kept my attention in the emotion of the moment. Yeah. Sorry. Hold for baby. Okay, he's okay. It's interesting that she is so absent throughout this movie. Emily? Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, there's like the producer side of me that, and it's very selfish and it's not helpful for the film, but I could have seen a more glitzier version of this movie by casting Emily with a A A-list movie star. And not someone who is a stupendous, more indie-sided actress like Zoe Kazan. Zoe Kazan is in a lot of romantic comedies as well. Like, um, we're going to run into her a couple times as a lead. Uh, I was checking out her IMDb, and she's she's in a bunch. But you're right, she mainly is in indie projects like this. Though, would, I wouldn't call this necessarily indie. I mean, it's produced by Amazon and Judd Apatow, so... Uh, yeah, but I, I mean, the it's just thing a smaller is, is... studio film. Like, sorry, baby. Yeah, hey Theo. He's like, I want a pod. You may hear my baby. We're just gonna keep going. That's okay. We'll just keep going. Um, um like this movie was made for five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, gone are the days of making these movies from Universal Studios for Notting Hill of mm-hmm. your Julia Roberts. Now when you want to make a rom-com, like your big rom-com is a $5 million film, which is chump change in the realm of studio films. And Well, I'm, I'm wondering if that might change again um, because we've seen a huge drop-off in the past nine years uh, for romantic comedies. But when this comes out in 2017 and the next year Crazy Rich Asians comes out, both of which are huge commercial successes, compared to their budget like um do you think the belief that the studio system will 
well, I mean, who knows right now in the in in the time of COVID, but um, do you think we're going to see a rise? The genie is out of the bottle. Um, that people are going to go to the movie theaters. No one's going to take that away. Um, but the films that are being played in the movie theaters will continue to be about bigger films and it'll be increasingly harder to see a movie like the big sick on the big screen, especially with Amazon at first being such champions of the theatrical experience. And in the past six months, walk that way back. Yeah. That's been kind of a bummer. um, That, has to do with their executive leadership and i know the people who work for the amazon theatrical department and soft brag i know every single one of them care about the theatrical experience but i think they're a little i know that they 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 want to see as many movies in theaters as they can but they understand that there's a corporate mandate of well we have prime video and we're competing with netflix and now you have NBC Universal going to have a streaming app. Uh, Warner, Warner's dropping HBO Max, and it's all about having competitive content so that people can justify having all these subscriptions. And so, in order to do that, you have to have really interesting movies like The Big Sick, or um, you know, they're going to put this—I uh, I don't know what it is yet—but this Melissa McCarthy movie was slated to open theatrically, and um, independent of coronavirus stuff. Uh, Warner Brothers is like, no, we're just going to make it online only. It's just going to be part of our streaming service so that they they can uh, attract people to subscribe to HBO Max. And so that's that's the unfortunate thing is that you're going to have tentpoles still released to theaters because a $100 million film needs to make as much money as possible. But when you make a $5 million film, it only needs to be successful enough on your streaming platform. Yeah, not only that, but uh, for the most part, Amazon is not like doubling their movie's budget in order to promote it because they're doing most of that themselves. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. Um, I mean, obviously, you're still paying people to do the work to promote it, but like compared to like Universal, it's going to be peanuts. Yeah. So my optimism, um, though, is we actually will actually see more rom coms and like we need to eventually dip our toes into the Netflix rom com because that's mm-hmm. probably a good test case of. Their original films, their most successful ones, I think, metric-wise, is their rom-coms. And I actually think we're going to get a lot more rom-coms. I just don't think they're going to be big deals. I think it's just going to be a lot of... Small budget. Littler films. But the the age of the movie star making the rom-com is going to be dormant for a while until a studio is brave enough to do it. That. Right, because it's almost like they need to give themselves the own courage to do something that nobody else is doing, which they never want to do because most studios are like, well, that didn't work. Well, I guess we're not going to do that for 20 years. Yeah, and I one of my favorite movie-going experiences was seeing um, I Love You, Man in a movie theater, and um, that's that's a brom-com. Mm, bromantic comedy. <laughs> it's amazing. You called that. Yeah, well, I know my farts. Unbelievable. And that's why I kind of hold out hope that we can bring back the rom-com to movie theaters again someday, is that the experience we all had together, comedies are so much better when you're in an audience that's they laughing. They are. What's, what's, so the much first, what's the first comedy that you saw in theaters? The first comedy? Because I remember mine. Princess Diaries. No. <laughs> Mine yeah. was mine was Home Alone. Oh, nice. My parents brought me to Home Alone in theaters, and I literally saw somebody's popcorn fly up. 
yeah in front of me like five rows in front of me and it was one of like the pivotal moments of me enjoying movies with other people because i was like oh i everybody else is laughing it gives you like double permission to laugh and it's like a snowball effect yeah <laughs> <laughs> one person thinks something's funny somebody else will see the humor in it it's like in that finding neverland scene where um jm barry like populates the theater with a bunch of little kids and he's like see adults it's okay to love this comedies are are good in the space i guess mine is the santa claus and we saw it twice that's how much my family really liked it um, and you know what? I don't want this to sound creepy, but when you see a Pixar movie, go see it in the suburbs and see it with a bunch of kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. Because hearing little kids laugh at jokes that are designed for them, it's the most like, I don't know. It reminds you to be, it reminds you not to be a cynical, horrible adult. It just, it just, it warms the heart and the head. Um, and the head. <laughs> Oh, it breaks the heart. And the head. You hit me, Dad. Hold on. Let's talk a little bit more about this movie. Wait, I feel like I had one. My I had a reason for that divergence, though. What was my reason? Oh, I guess the state. Oh, oh, oh. No, we need to just. I need to finish this idea about what if if a studio, if Universal Studios or Warner Brothers made the big sick and not Amazon, who has, um, you know, very indie film minded people you know making it and zoe kazan is a very indie film actress she's one of the you know i would call her like one of the queens of indie film acting but if it was a movie star who would it be um i know the answer to this it's i mean i would almost say uh greta gerwig or she's um, another queen of indie I want to. I want a star. A Maybe movie st- I, you know I what? No, I don't know younger movie uh, movie. Oh, uh, what's her name? It'd be Saoirse uh, Ronan. From, It'd be Saoirse Ronan. Well, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, but I was I was thinking, who is who is in? She was in Kick Ass and Cloud of Sils Maria. Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah, Chloe Grace Moretz. She'd be a little too young. I think you need someone older. Really? Just to match Kamal. Yeah, I guess Kamal is a little bit. Old, older looking than he was in real life <laughs> but during this time period. That's how you could have cheated is that you get a really expensive actress, but she's only in the first act and the third act. So you don't have to pay as much because she's not, um, she's not top billing with Ray Romano and Holly Hunter who has way more to do and way, way more work. It, it seems it's kind of like, like uh, Hugh Grant in sense and sensibility. Exactly. Exactly. Goodbye. And I, I think that just um, points out where the, the industry is in terms of how we're making these movies in that rom-coms in the nineties they had so much more priority as productions and today they don't, they don't. As, as far as uh, movies that made the most uh, box office wise worldwide in um, 1995, it was while you were sleeping, which had multiple stars in it. And in, you know, 2017, it was the big sick, which had no real stars. I guess the biggest stars were Holly Hunter and 
Ray Romano, but they weren't like the leads of the film, I guess. Right. I mean, in a way they were, but, um, right. right. No one ever says, let's go see that Holly Hunter movie. Sorry, Holly Hunter, but (laughs) we do (laughs) like, we're excited Uh, when we go see the Incredibles too, but, oh my gosh. Uh, well, yeah. Um, you're, you're a bigger Incredibles two fan than you are Incredibles, aren't you? Um, you know, it depends on the day. Yeah. Blasphemy. Uh, the first one's much better. Um, there were so many moments that made me know that Emily Gordon and Camille were huge fans of other rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Like the, uh, the batting cages scene. I mean, it's almost straight out of when Harry met Sally. Yeah. But it's also just, um, I like it because it actually is motivated because they, he kind of hinted that they were a big cricket fans mm-hmm. and like, this is what they're forced to like. This is like, this is as close as they can get. Yeah. Is that they'll do American baseball. And I like that. That felt motivated. It didn't feel like a forced homage. It felt like it would go to the batting cages. Yeah. I'm just saying that it's, it feels very, it just felt very when Harry met Sally, but that's what's, that's what I value is that it's like, okay, if you're going to do an homage and it's kind of like, do it right. And you're like rom-coms of today are super self-aware because they are all kind of saying, well, it's never going to be as good as when Harry met Sally or Notting Hill. So we're just going to kind of pay tribute as we lowly peasants try and tell our story. And I like that sometimes, but sometimes when they call attention to it and they're like, uh, by the way, we know that we're making a reference here. I, I just hate it. Yeah, it's that lampshading approach where it's like you're doing the big chase to the airport like this movie. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. We were influenced by that. Uh-huh. We were, and, and we also called it out. We said as they were doing the chase, well, this is quite a dramatic chase. Just like in that movie. It's like, Ugh. no, you just didn't come up here. with a good idea. And I think you're right is that the big sick has their homages, but it's just kind of like. Yeah, motivated. Uh, story motivated. And speaking of the story, I mean this this is a little bit of a story about a son wanting to rebel against one part of his culture that just doesn't quite jive with who he is now. And this this movie did a really good job of saying like, yeah, it's it's a different culture than your standard American culture, but also we're a family that like is a family, yeah. <laughs> like everything about that family around the dinner table because most of their scenes were set there were just so like stereotypical family yeah yeah like i mean i was laughing i was annoyed there were brothers that were like kind of giving each other shit yeah like that seemed very true to i mean you have a brother i have a brother it's very true very very they nailed that and what what's the word that roger ebert uses in one of his reviews like one quibble does he use the word quibble yeah, sure. It sounds like a, an Eberty thing to say. I'm going to say I have one quibble with the film at large is I don't get the um, strategy that Kumal has for going along with his parents for this arranged marriage plan. It doesn't seem like there is a percentage at all that he's ever going to give in to any of these women that they're bringing to the house, but he lets it happen. And I, and I, I get the dramatic crux is that he needs to stand up for him for himself, but I just don't understand the logic of just being like, 
Can we just not like it doesn't? Well, it's not logic based. It's it's fear based though. Like like have you ever had a huge disagreement on like something with your your parents? Like let's say religion. You know, I really haven't. Okay, <laughs> maybe I, that's how well behaved I am. But he doesn't. He also doesn't seem. Like he seems so devoted to them as a family member, and that's I like that. And that what I like about is the resolution of him just being like, "You're not disowning me. I'm not going to let you." Mm-hmm. And I really like that. I think that's great. So I really like the resolution. I just don't like the setup of the conflict that, for so like it's kind of a mess that he made for himself. Is that for so long he never spoke his true feelings, and he just kind of let a mess get messier and messier before. Yeah, it but turned what, what into don't you like about that? Um, that, that seems so true to life. Uh, I guess I, I'm less sympathetic. Is that it's just kind of like, this is kind but of... You're not supposed to be sympathetic. You're not supposed to be like, oh, you're doing such good work. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm just saying I would I wanted to see a little bit like 5% effort of him to try try to start the conversation of like, I'm never going to marry these girls. But he just lets it persist uh i i wouldn't have liked that i like i like him trying to hide or mainly trying to avoid conflict to me he him trying to avoid conflict is what gets him in trouble with with i mean with emily um zoe croissant's character Um, yeah and i guess that's the one i mean that's how his character builds the whole rest of the film feels very honest this conflict of him not confronting his parents until the third act felt the most uh structured contrivance uh see it it rang true to me because it reminded me of a lot of my mormon friends Mm -hmm. who for a long time they're just like yeah totally we'll go on dates with these people or we'll go to dances like dances were a big thing with my mormon friends who are like yeah we'll go to the dances we will pretend as if we care about marrying or dating any of these people that I have no interest in. And it wasn't until they felt either they were inspired to, or they got to the point where they just couldn't handle it anymore that they snapped and said, I'm done with this. I'm not going to do it. If it was a Mormon family, I would buy it only because I agree. And I concur. I have a similar witness to those problems. Could I get a witness? (laughs) And I think maybe that's my, own cultural blind spot is that maybe I just don't understand the religious and cultural um, implications for Kamal of being Pakistani and being Muslim of this is, these are the rules. And you and I grew up in very moderate religious households that some days are strict, some days are not at all. Um, And it's maybe that's, maybe it's my, Maybe it's me bringing in my own garbage of I, I just don't understand the, the culturalism involved. Yeah, I, I think for me, for me, it just seemed a little like even though I I don't have I don't have any experience with friends who are in a family structure where they were expected to kind of I mean, this what it felt like to me and the reason why the comparison felt or, or the, the problem felt very relevant is because we're reading Pride and Prejudice right now. <laughs> and it just kind of felt like like Elizabeth Bennett uh, being set up and forced by her mom to, like, she like 
the Elizabeth Bennet of of our book is much more forceful in saying, I don't want to marry Mr. Collins and I'm not going to. And so stop trying to set me up with him. But um, Camille is very much an avoider as a character. And so him kind of like hiding from that conflict <laughs> makes the, much more sense. The comparison makes him seem so much more weaker as a protagonist because you have Elizabeth Bennet in the early 19th century as a woman, part of the um, English gentry saying, I'm not marrying that person and you can't make me and I won't. And she doesn't. And she just stands up for herself right away. And you have Kamal who's like, dude, like just say no and just stand up for yourself. But, and he does, and he does, he totally does. And that's where it's going. I, I, I just, I think if we're talking about characters that are true to life, having weaknesses, I, I like this as a weakness. It made me like him more as a character, or actually relate to him more as a character. Um, I, yeah, I think the better character flaws are in everyone else. Or at least the more uh, three-dimensional flaws are in all the other hmm. characters, especially Emily. I think that's my favorite, is her coming out of the coma, and it's so anti-Hollywood of her being like, just because I came out of this coma doesn't mean I'm a transformed person and I care about... Yeah, but that's not a flaw. No, it's not a flaw, but it's... That felt more human. Her her experience mm. felt way more natural and felt more humanistic than Kamal's like um, character development. Emily's character development felt really raw and new to me um, because the Hollywood movie, someone has a, a sickness and they're near death and they come back from death and they have a new found like uh, lease on life and they didn't do that. They're like, well, that's because that was actually one of the truer things that happened in real life. Yeah, um, and so that's was, what I love. I yeah. love that. What are you doing here? I was visiting someone down the hall, and I was like, I'll just pop in and say hi to Emily. Oh. Oh, I'm joking. I was here for you. You're an asshole, and I don't like you. <laughs> I really liked the family dynamics with, um, and and all of the the women coming over for like that uh camille's mom is setting him up with Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like the forced awkward dinner conversations Uh, i think one of my favorite lines was the girl (laughs) saying oh here camille for your files your (laughs) x-files because that's your favorite show huh (laughs) thank you so much the truth is out there (laughs) Uh, i really liked the one who did the magic trick she gave um the dollar bill, the sunglasses. Oh yeah. The sunglasses. That was pretty good. Yeah. And it was funny cause we were watching it with our friends and Lauren was like, I like her. What's wrong with her? And I was like, you know what? I have to agree. What is wrong with well, her? Yeah. And you have to set up somebody who there's quote unquote, nothing wrong with and is a good alternative because that's, that is one of the rom-com tropes right there. Yeah. And like if we're thinking back to Notting Hill, the Emily Mortimer character who comes over and their friends set him up with and, they're like, what do you think? And she's like, she's great, but she's not, not who her. I'm in love with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the emotions like really come in for me in this movie. Good point. I think that's what they did a good job. Cause like they have a lot of girls that are like the X-Files girls where it's like, uh, it's never going to happen. X-Files. Girl. <laughs> but the girl who with the magic trick, it's cause kind of like it's, it should hurt for the audience to be like, I don't know. She's pretty great. And it, the movie does a good job of like, yeah, but she's not her. She's not mm-hmm. the one I'm chasing. 
like I, I feel like in any rom-com there should be there should be what we see which is like two characters getting to know each other and falling in love and the events they go through and then the chemistry needs a certain uh, je ne sais quoi that um that a character can say i don't know it's just that i love them Mm -hmm. like i love them more than any of my alternatives it's very interesting to me in this movie how camille and her don't have necessarily a solid relationship i mean they've broken up but how camille falls back in love with her camille falling in love with her in the in the hospital did you believe that yeah he sees that he could lose her thus he says my feelings have been like solidified he's like ah i didn't know how much she meant to me until i saw that i might truly not have her if she dies mm-hmm. like that's something that you can see in in kind of a soap opera setting but works really well here yeah when being faced with like the true possibility of having or not having somebody in a permanent status um we're forced to make decisions within ourselves and i think that's what pushes camille over the over the edge of telling his parents yeah have you spent much time in a hospital setting with a romantic person um yeah i i've spent probably there was one time where i spent about two days in a hospital mm-hmm. um so i mean not quite so much as this movie but no um, i yeah. can't imagine this situation i will say um dads go i have th- nightmares about it but yeah um dads go through this with their wives or wait dads with husbands who have wives who will give birth and or wives who have wives that will give birth (laughs) yes yes um i i guess i'm i'm speaking more of myself as Mm -hmm. this husband man who just went through this um and spent we spent uh pretty much a week um in the hospital good food no (laughs) um but the induction um took a couple days then there's the birth then there was the post stay but you feel so helpless and like it's so routine for your 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 wife to give birth but it's still hard and it's still hard to be so helpless because you're not a doctor or a nurse and you're just depending on a doctor or nurse to make sure that they're comfortable. And, Mm -hmm. um, my love for Sarah wasn't, it wasn't tested, but it was just kind of like at the front line of my heart and mind is that she was all I was thinking about. And like, they make you sleep on this couch. Is that why you didn't text me very much? (laughs) Yeah, because you're you're who I should be thinking about. <laughs> um, but they like make you sleep on this couch that has like a pullout bed, and like if you put that couch pullout bed um, at um, a vacation home or like my grandparents and or my in laws, you're gonna like say you're gonna sleep on that. I'd be like, I want to go home. This is stupid. This why are we staying here? Let's just get a hotel room. But at the hospital. It's like, okay, fine, sure, whatever. I don't I don't care. I can sleep on the I can sleep on gravel. What do you got? Like make me sleep on anything. I don't care. And it, my priorities were so shifted. And then 
once you come home, they unfortunately go get a little bit more selfish. And it's just like sometimes I'm like, Theo, can you just nap so I can finish this game of Final Fantasy or whatever? Just like I loved the scenes where um, like they they went and stayed at Camille's house uh, a couple of nights, but everybody ended up being like pulled back into the gravity of the hospital. Yeah. Um, like he either slept outside or Ray Romano um, after he and Holly Hunter have a fight, like he ends up back there really early in the morning. Um, and that's, I don't know. That seemed very true. huh? Yeah. And you just um, like when I would get food, when I was at the hospital with Sarah, like I was running to get food and I was just trying to get back. And just like, I need to get back to the labor and delivery ward. Cause I don't want to be by myself right now. I want to be with her. And I, I think this movie does, a superb job of um, showing how especially her parents will do whatever it takes to make sure that she's taken care of and be, and that they are with her. And before, before when I watched this movie, when it first came out a few years ago, I may, I understood that logically, but now I'm starting to understand that emotionally of like, you don't think twice, you just go. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, what's great about Kamal's character is that he's in the same place as her parents are that that that's that's the proof in the pudding is that he does love her because he's there yeah you know what i i loved them going to going to be with him after he was kind of there for them uh when they go to his his show mm-hmm. um and then like the mom i i think what happens is he does a set and some some bro is like you know go back to isis and then Holly Hunter gets super pissed off on Camille's sake and, yeah. and like almost decks the dude. But her not being at the hospital and having something that she can fight, just relying on the doctors and nurses, means that she's like ready to go toe to toe with this um, fraternity douche. And and that was that was also yeah. like I didn't really think about that until this moment, but she was fighting a lot of battles in that moment. <laughs> I liked Ray Romano more. In what? In that scene where he, what does he say? He's oh, like, yeah. What does he say to him? Did you, did you write that at home? <laughs> Toast fuck is a you. very strange. Oh, fuck you. Oh, no, fuck you. Okay, wait, You're wait, a wait. bitch. You know that? Sorry, everybody. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm not sorry, actually, because you're a, a terrible person. I don't want to kick your ass here in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I got levels, motherfucker, okay? This elevator goes all the way fucking down, you fucking prick! Your dad, I would... <laughs> your dad, like, to the outside friend observers, is like, your dad's a cop, but he's so nice. At least yeah. to me, he is. And I just, is. I'd no, like to see is. him at a public confrontation because I just, not not because I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to see some action. I'm like, just curious. I'm like, how would the nice guy deal with this? Because he is a cop. So he would deal with it. Yeah. yeah I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I think one of my favorite things about this movie was the fact that it's a newer film. And um, we got a lot of like modern gimmicks with it. Like when, when they first sleep together and she's like, I got to go home, she calls an Uber and. Mm-hmm he's the uber driver yeah and he ends up driving her home that night and uh, 
I, I come to romantic comedies from moments like that. So the Uber driver is the go-to profession of the low low wage earner that is to the 90s is the barista or bartender. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like In this gig economy, am I right? Yeah, I think um if you were doing um if you were doing friends for the first time in today, Rachel Green's first job would be Uber driver. Or um, it's not a common bad driver. Though. Yeah. Well, that she's a bad barista. Can we get some cappuccino over here? Oh, right, that's me. <laughs> and I think that's the go-to like like every person um job job that people kind of hold just to make cash and it's not a career it's just your your go-to cash thing because i've seen a lot of indie films now where it's like um a, a lot of the comedic interludes are those wacky uber rides with you know <laughs> c-list guest actor who was on um yeah but i liked this one <laughs> i know this one is good yeah. this one is the, the good version of that is there anything else? Do we talk about how Anupam Kher is like one of the most famous actors in the whole world? Is he? I don't and know. He's been in 500 feature films and he was head of the um, Indian Film and Television Board at one point in time. Wow. Um, yeah. This was his 500th film, actually. My only... And, um, oh, God. I only know... So you're saying for Bollywood? Or... Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he's been in like you know some American films as well and American TV shows, but um, primarily Bollywood. Um, the only the only people I know in Bollywood are Shah Rukh Khan. We gotta do a Shah Rukh Khan film. Bye bye. bye. That is a subgenre of romantic comedies that are bonkers. Three hour well, musical. Um, soap opera romances as I was doing um, uh, research on this I was trying to find the the movies that made the most money um, year to year over the last like 10 to 20 years and for the past uh, eight years four of them I believe have been Chinese films and one has been an Indian film uh, just because their markets are so huge but for romantic comedies they're and they're kind of taken over down there. Like the big sick was like this island of an American movie in recent years. Oh, like it was a big hit there? Or no, no. I, I mean, just hit. being it was a hit. Being a hit from America. Yeah, I'm curious if other, like the the big hits of the '90s, like how they like how did Notting Hill do in China in 1999? Ooh, I don't know. But Notting Hill uh, for. M- adjusted for uh inflation um notting hill is number eight all time for um worldwide top domestic romantic comedies notting hill is 17 but the big sick is not even in the top 100 what can you do well my curiosity and i hope we can reach to an international oh wait it is it's 93 well okay my hope is I would like to hear from someone um, not from America and tell us if this movie had much of a reception. Um, especially curious if it was seen much in Pakistan or India or China um, and these other big, big markets that um, do films about um, these kind of American stories. 
um, do they still play or do they care? Like, I'm very curious if they're as fun. Is it as fun for you as it is for us? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would say this movie did pretty. I mean, it's did a hundred thousand in India, um, but it mainly played in like English speaking countries like Australia and UK. Yeah, were were the other big ones. Um, but I'm not even seeing like how much like on this one list of 20 countries, Pakistan does not rate like in the top. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't know, but I'm um, curious. That would, so international yeah, listeners, write, in. write us, tell us, tell us what the reception is. Tell us, um, what your, um, what your experience with the film is. Cause we're the general audience coming to the big sick is like, well, most of us aren't Pakistani Americans. Um, and most of us are learning about this cultural divide, or at least getting a, a story about this cultural divide, but we're not relating to it directly. Um, and I'm I'm curious if people who are from families who have are going to America, are going to other cultures, and dealing with this problem of you are from one culture and you're you're dealing with a different kind of dating culture. Because I think that's a very valuable aspect to this film is that it's it's the 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 conflict is how do you romance how does your family view romance and how do you go about it and how do you navigate it and i think this movie does a fantastic job um of saying like kumal's trying to pick this american lifestyle but he's being withheld from it and he he has a great monologue at the end of like you want us to be american but you won't let us be american like you're not letting us do the american thing i really appreciate everything you did for me but can we talk about this another time for me if you don't want to be a lawyer, fine. If you want to do the stand-up comedy and embarrass us as a family, fine. There is only one thing that we have ever asked for you, Kumi. That you be a good Muslim and you marry a Pakistani girl. That is it. One thing. Can I ask you something? Something that has never made sense to me. Why did you bring me here if you wanted me to not have an American life? We come here, but we pretend like we're still back there. That's so stupid. Don't you talk to your mother like that. You don't care what I think. You just want me to follow the rules. But the, the rules don't make sense to me. I don't pray. I don't. I haven't prayed in years. I just go down there and I play video games. You don't believe in Allah? I don't know what I believe, Dad. I don't know. And I can't marry someone you find for me. And why not? Because I am in love with someone. I am. And her name is Emily. And she's going to be a therapist. And right now, she's very sick. But I couldn't tell you that. It makes me so sad that I couldn't tell you any of that. I really appreciate everything you've done for me. I truly, truly, truly do. I really do. And I know Islam has been really good for you and it has made you good people. But I don't know what I believe. Yeah, well, he's not necessarily being withheld from it. He's being forced to make a choice. Of if he chooses the American way of being um, cast from his family? Yeah, or of at least accepting the, the, uh, the consequences of that. Yeah. Um, brutal. It is. Yeah. And I, I think this movie, there's 
one thing I'm glad it didn't do is dip its toes into being like, look how different our cultures are. It's just like, there's this culture, they have these rules, there's this culture, they have different rules. And like, there's one person who's kind of stuck in the middle of that. Yeah, it's not uh, my, big, my big fat Greek wedding. No yeah, one's being exactly. characterized. Although I think the whole point of my big fat Greek wedding is she's like, I don't mind characterizing some of these aspects. That's the whole point of this movie is that, because it's Nia Vardalis' story. Um, mm. But um, that's what's great about this movie is that no one's being like, oh, those wacky Pakistani Americans. I mean, it's a little bit, but it's the same as any other family who would be cast in a comedic light. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else? Um, oh, you know, we didn't talk about his one man show. <laughs> yeah. What's um, up with that? I love an actor acting as a bad actor. It's one of my favorite things. Um, and so being able to watch him do a bad one man show, or at least uh, I, I don't want to call it a bad one man show, but it's <laughs> a, a more informative than entertaining one man show Why, at the beginning. What, what do you think that brings to the story? His one man show. Um, I, I mean, it's kind of trying to show that he's like trying to be both an actor who does one man shows which was like a really big American, especially LA fad back in the nineties. Yeah. Um, but he's trying to combine that with his personal life and his background, um, which is kind of what this movie is like trying to say, like, ah, I'm trying to like have both parts of who I am coalesce and not be separate. But I don't know. It's just kind of, I think it's just a bit of fun. Yeah. I don't think it adds too much. Well, I really just like the Emily saying, So really, what do you think? Like, it's a work in progress. I really liked it. I learned a lot about Pakistan and cricket, all those positions. But I just wish that I learned more about you. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. And I think that's that's the that's what I got out of it is. Um, She's like, be more vulnerable. Be, yeah. Be more open. Yeah. And, um. So where do you rank this in our echelon of rankings? The high, medium, low kind of... I'm giving this high. Yeah. Um, to me, this is up there with Sense and Sensibility, um, Notting Hill. Before um, Sunrise. Before Sunrise, because it's able to do what I want from a rom-com, which is make me feel like... Make me feel the feelings of romance. But... Um, it also makes me laugh and it gets at um, it's prescient about our culture. It brings up topics of like that age old, like question of how does one apologize for being a bad boyfriend or girlfriend? Like when, when he does the apology in the bedroom, mm-hmm. I'm just like, yes, that, that is something that all of us, well, unless you're perfect, have gone through. It's like, how do I tell you that I recognize something in myself that I need to work on it does it does all the things for me and it's something that i would go back and watch again like next week if i wanted to yeah um i too would put it there um i can't visit it as often um just too heavy yeah it's just a little too heavy for me and it's it's like a story that has my respect but it's just kind of like it weighs on me and i think that's why it's so successful as a story is Mm -hmm. that it it weighs on my heart to watch it and 
I I render the high camp of films the films that I can't put on in the background. You know. <laughs> well, but we can do that with Notting Hill. Yeah, I I don't know what I, I can't remember. So every where once I put in a while, it. one breaks through. Yeah, I, maybe that's the faultiness of our rating system. Is that maybe that means I put it at the bottom of the high system, but that doesn't make sense. So. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad that we got to have this conversation about it. And I don't know if you're still able to watch this, like if it's recorded somewhere, but um, Camille and Emily did a commentary with the Academy uh, not too long ago about the movie. And so I don't know if you're able to download that anywhere. Maybe we can put it in the description below if mm-hmm. we find it. Um, but that seems like a lot of fun. Like I'd like to, to watch that. Um, yeah. So who would you love? Who do you? Oh, who do you love? Not David Allen Greer because he's always in the bathroom <laughs> doing cocaine. <laughs> Which I, it was nice seeing him, yeah. but I, I I feel like that there was something more there. Yeah, that's good. Um, I don't know. Um, you go first. Um, can I just confess that I've always had a crush on Holly Hunter? Oh yeah, yeah. This is a safe space. Nobody else will hear this but me. And Holly Hunter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. She's definitely listening right now. Um, what's uh, what's the why why Holly Hunter? Um, I don't know because Holly Hunter usually plays firecracker characters. Yes, she does. Um, and I'm not. I don't know. Sarah oscillates between firecracker and sensitive soul. Don't you think? Is that an apt description of my wife? Yeah, yeah. She's got a, a sassy, spunky side. <laughs> yeah, if she was in the room right now, she'd be like, "What? What are you talking about?" It's like, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I'm gonna, I'm getting, getting earful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's just how much I love uh, her. Okay, Holly Hunter. That's great. Holly Hunter. Um, I'm also good. Okay, so this whole movie, we kind of fell in love with. Um, it was Camille falling in love with the parents, and the parents falling in love with Camille. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to go with Ray Romano on this one because <laughs> the jokes, he's not funny, but he's very sincere. And I like how, um, he's just like a chill, a chill dude who also cops to making mistakes and, um, he's self-effacing. I don't know. I just really like his character. Okay. Well, l- let me ask you this. Let, I think this is a more appropriate question for this type of movie is that this is the in-law movie. Um, and, I am very excited to find another in-law rom-com where it's about Mm -hmm. a relationship with your in-laws or potential in-laws. Father, Father the Bride about that is just a little bit about George and um, Brian coming to terms with each other. But much more like a meet the parents type or I guess meet the Fockers type situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So my question is um, if you had to choose between having uh-huh. Ray Romano or Holly Hunter as an in-law. You can only have, you can only pick one. Well, okay. I, I'm kind of divided because uh, you mean the characters. Yeah. I think Holly Hunter seems actually like a lot of fun because when they, they actually spend time together after the comedy show, like, they get drunk and they have like, they play games and they have like a, also a good serious conversation. Um, and, and this question is not displacing your current in-law situation. It's just, um, your fantasy in-law situation. 
I know. In the I same know. way. That, this is like yeah. our fantasy football. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I just want to say respect to our in-laws. <laughs> uh, gosh, that's tough. I'm going to go with Ray Romano, but um, Holly Hunter would not be a bad mother-in-law in this film. Yeah, so too close to call. I do think that Camille's mom uh, is going to be a shroff, uh-huh. I want to say. She is a bit... She's a bit Mrs. Bennett for me. She's Yeah, she's supposed she, to be. I know. And so I do not necessarily want her to be my mother-in-law. Well, that's why I didn't I didn't movie. put her in the running. I just picked Holly Hunter or Ray Romano cuz I know, I was just I was just going um I was going to include all the parents in this one cuz I do like his dad a lot. Yeah. It's a tough uh prospect, but I think I think I'd pick Ray Romano only cuz he's so chill. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of pressure there. Yeah, and I, it's what I really like about this movie is that um, I feel like the fathers... I, in this movie, both fathers are pretty chill. Yeah. And, I love that, that scene at the end where um, Camille's dad is... He like walks up to him and he's like, Hey, you're still kicked out of the family. But because we did not get a proper chance to say bye to you, so... Your mother is so angry with you. She's not going to get out of the car. She's not going to even look at you. I don't believe that you kept so much of secret from me, your father. Sorry. Yeah. She asked me to give this to you. Mutton biryani for your trip. Your favorite. She made it herself specially for you with extra potatoes. Thank you, Ma. Is she okay? Right now? No. I miss you. I'm forbidden from hugging you, so... It was nice to have you as my son. Goodbye forever. And do me a favor, when you reach New York, just text us and tell us that you've reached safely, okay? I will. You can see the love all over his face. It's very good. Yeah. But I think something I've observed as an as a grown up is strange. You're the dad's chill way the hell down in your life. Yeah. Um, they wonder why that is. I don't know, but they just they just relax, you know. And I've noticed that with my dad, way chiller. Or maybe we just maybe a we're less screw ups. Um, or B. <laughs> so they they they're allowed to be chiller. Or B we are more aware i think also you know when you get to a certain age your body starts breaking down right dad (laughs) (laughs) now my dad's a lot more chill now too okay well let's uh let's pick what we're watching next week huh? okay i don't have it i don't have any dice i need you to have the dice uh let me go get my dice oh well we've already pre-decided what next week is. oh yeah next week we are doing pride and prejudice the book the book the novel mm-hmm. by jane austen if anybody didn't know yep and it's our our intention to do the book and someday we'll do um Keira knightley's movie and someday we'll do colin firth's movie and or miniseries and that's kind of our our goal for the austin at least the austins i think we'll do a similar thing for the shakespeare's I, I would I would ask that if everybody when they're listening um, to the Pride and Prejudice episode, you kind of like dress up, have some tea, because we're like, all gonna look at you. We're gonna 
we're going to get fancy. Um, there's definitely going to be like some Baroque music playing in the mm. background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And please, if, uh, if you liked anything that we said this episode or um, you have like any comments, any scenes that you really love that we didn't talk about, please write in. You can get us at romcomgents, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, also check us out on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Same username, um, romcomgents. And really, this this episode, um, if you, A, if you are not in the U.S. and you got to watch this movie, how did um, how did it do? Was it Was it a big deal where you are or was it just a big deal for you personally um or vice versa if you have a similar story where you're in you were in kamal's shoes and you had a you had a cultural romance that had conflict like this i'm very curious i want to hear about it um please write us yeah um, if you're pakistani and you were just like <laughs> fucking finally or, i got a rom-com or, or anything America. else or any like yeah. um if uh, if you're from a mormon family we we certainly have witnessed that of really big struggles of you know religious differences mm-hmm. cultural differences um uh, it's those those stories are always fascinating to us so please write us we we really want to hear about it which is why this movie like you know i think it's um its problems are more universal than the locality of the film yeah um and yeah. you know finally we also just want to encourage if you like what you hear uh please tell your friends that's the best way to um for us to keep doing this and to, to keep going is, um, is that you can tell people who you think would be interested in the, the podcast to check it out and um, take, a, take a listen. And we, we would love to reach out to more people. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you next week. Uh, dressed in fancy collars and tall boots and um, speaking in much more proper civil tones. <laughs> I can't guarantee I'll be as civil as you want me to be. Be civil. All right. Oh, all right. Love you. I love you too. <clears throat> and this is where we will say oh, goodbye. Ryland Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe. We'll even take a bribe. To see you next week on a gentleman's guide to rom-coms. <laughs> <laughs>